in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Two brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, John Flack and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Hello, all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We're here to watch some movies and talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest. I'm joined by my good friend and substitute co-host, Brian Fry. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. Everybody gets to nap in class because I'm a substitute. John is working on a time machine so that we can actually go back in time and watch the movies the year that they came out. It's a very important project, so he's been away for a while. He'll still continue to be away next week as well, but... Um, Hopefully he gets that time machine going. I mean, I think he'll make a lot of money off of that if he gets it up and running. I have got some great news. Not only are you going to get Brian Fry, you're going to get two fries for the price of one. We're going to supersize your fries. And today, joining us as our special guest, we've got Ben Fry from New York City, merchandise planner extraordinaire. Ben, say hello to the people. How's it going? Ben, let's get a feel for you. It's your first time on the show. First podcast, I assume, right? Yep, first one. That's right. Uh, I'm excited. The first podcast to have you on there. Um, tell the people what kind of movies you like the most. So this is um, devastatingly not unique but, uh, from what I've heard from other people on your show, but uh, horror and sci-fi are my favorites. So those are my two favorite genres. I'd say dramas too a little bit. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about a movie that I consider a drama to be today. But uh, yeah, horror and sci-fi. You know what? I think I just gravitate towards people who like those things, and you're absolutely right. Probably. Those, those are the mo- those are by far the most popular choices. These are my people. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> nerdy people who also like to get scared. So uh, exactly. Let's find out a few other movie questions for you. What is the most disappointing sequel you had? Not not what's the worst sequel that you ever had. What is the most disappointing sequel? So one of my favorite horror movies is Hellraiser. I love the first one. Uh, the sequel. Especially the second one. The third one wasn't even as bad, but the the second Hellraiser movie was just awful. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's this um, demon that wields a torture cube, and um, all this crazy shit happens. But um, in the in the sequel, they actually go inside the cube, and they're supposed to be in this kind of hellish world. And it was so bad. It was just really cheesy. And I was just like, man, that could have been so much cooler. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I love the first Hellraiser, and I thought, if anything, maybe a little bit of higher budget, we'd get some better actors in there. No, it didn't. Probably. No, it, <laughs> it didn't go well. Brian, you want to answer that one yourself? What was the most disappointing sequel for you? This might throw you guys off guard because it's not horror or sci-fi, but I have never regretted spending money more than when I went to see Wall Street 2 Money Talks. Which is a terrible was... title for a movie, I might add. The worst sequel that ever brought back people from the original one. I just like, I wanted to, oh God, it was so bad. It it was disappointing and bad. Like I've seen movies that were bad sequels that I enjoyed from a standpoint of, haha, yeah, it's a sequel. But this was just like, oh, 
it, it was a Peter Griffin knee grab. It was a ah. <laughs> Thank you for not doing it the other fifteen times that Peter does. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, well, we, I know we have we have time constraints. That's true. Mine would definitely be Caddyshack too. I just I don't normally chip in on these, but like I just I love Caddyshack. Caddyshack two made me cry. Ben, what is the best looking or most beautiful movie you have seen? Most beautiful movie. Um, there are a lot of those. It's pretty hard, but Interstellar is one of them. When they go into the wormhole. Ooh, well, that's a good pick. Christopher Nolan's an awesome director. How about you, Brian? You know, I'm gonna go kind of oddly obscure on this and it probably doesn't hold up the test of time but i haven't seen it in a minute but i'm gonna go with what dreams may come oh that you know what i've forgotten about that movie that did have some amazing visuals and it was really imaginative too so uh i don't think i've ever gotten goosebumps more in a movie than when i watched that Hmm. did you get goosebumps when you watched the movie goosebumps (laughs) i'm not sure if i ever saw the goosebumps movie it's got jack black in it I still watch them. <laughs> We're finding a lot of Jack Black movies that no one's ever seen here recently. That's true. Uh, so, Ben, what's the last movie you have seen? The most recent movie we saw? Um, I'm not sure if your other guests probably answered this as well, but the the new Halloween movie. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Tell me what you thought of it. I hope you liked it better than Chad. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's Jamie Lee Curtis, and uh, she's back with her daughter and her granddaughter, so three generations of uh laurie strode's family and they you know basically kick his ass <laughs> um and you know i i thought it was great i thought it was um i loved all the references to the older movies like when uh he fell out the window and then uh or no she fell out the window and she was gone and you know in one of the previous films he fell out the window and she looked down and he was gone and just little things like that made it really good uh, and this is just a plug because it was one of our earliest episodes we put out. It has fewer downloads than some of the other ones, but it's still a really good episode. Uh, if you want to go back and check out the Halloween uh, 1978 uh, episode that we did, uh, Brian, what about you, man? I got really, really excited the other day because I could finally download the movie Hotel Artemis with Jodie Foster. I don't know that one. Yeah. I absolutely loved it it's another one of those kind of sci-fi noir films which i'm really really into you know kind of the the blade runner altered carbon you know dystopian future kind of piece uh but it's jodie foster uh, batista's in it jeff goldblum's in it jodie foster runs this hotel for criminals uh where they can go and get patched up after jobs where they get injured it's it's kind of an art piece film. It's an action film. It's one of those things that I could see people not liking out of hand, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I got a little giddy to see that it was available early. So today we're going to do The Power of One. Uh, this is a movie that I did not know much about coming in, but it comes out in 1992. It, and it has nothing to do with Keanu Reeves. It's not a Highlander movie either. It sounds like it would be a sequel to the Highlander. That's true. That's true. But not 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 a Highlander sequel, not a Keanu Reeves movie. Uh, this is the uh, 1992 drama with a little bit of boxing in it. It's, it's mostly a drama, though. Uh, historical period piece kind of movie. It grossed 2.8 million dollars uh that's not a great showing for the movie it only came in 138th in the box office it placed behind reservoir dogs and um placed ahead of newsies imdb however likes it and gives it a 7.2 rating the critics 
surprisingly are really down on this movie. It's a 39% uh, from the critics and Rotten Tomatoes. And, but the audience likes it a lot and gives it an 87% in Rotten uh, Tomatoes. So, you know, Rotten Tomatoes fans like it more than IMDb fans. So there's a lot of varied... You got a 39, a 72, and an 87. So wide stratification on this one. So let's let's find out what you guys think of it. Ben, have you seen this movie before? If so, when did you see it? What were your thoughts coming in? The first time that I watched this, I was in high school. And um, I had no expectations. <laughs> it just came on. Uh, it was just on a random uh, movie channel on the cable that we had. And um, I was just paying more attention to it than I had, you know, whatever other movies were on around it. And I thought it was um, really heartbreaking and I thought it was great back then. Um, I rewatched it this week for the first time in probably like six or seven years. And, um, you know, I, I could understand some of the criticism more, but I still like it. Okay. Okay. And so were you, you had pretty optimistic coming in that it would still hold up then? Yeah. Yeah. I still like it. That's good. Um, Brian, how about you? Had you seen this one before? What were your impressions coming into this time? Uh, I had never heard of this movie before, uh, which marks a first for me for this podcast, which actually made me more excited to watch it. I enjoyed the movie, but in the same way that I enjoy some Oscar winners out there where I watch it once and I'm like, oh, that was an excellent movie. I'm never going to watch that again. <laughs> yeah. It's not that it's bad. It's just, I mean, it's a heavy topic. There are things that I think they could have done better. Uh, I was enthralled the entire time, so it's definitely worth a watch, but it's not something, it, it doesn't rank on my rewatchability scale. Okay. I had never seen this movie before. Um, I didn't know about it until getting ready for the show. I honestly was really into the history. I wasn't sure coming in. I, I saw that I thought it was going to be more of a straight up boxing movie. I didn't get what I expected. I tried, I'm spoiler adverse. I, I shielded myself from it. So from knowing too much. And so I was pleasantly surprised uh, that this was not really a movie just about boxing. Uh, it was more about social relations and racism and hate and love and all that good stuff. So it, it, it was a lot, uh, lot more to the movie than I thought. So I was pleasantly surprised and uh, I had a good time with this. And Yes, I see some flaws in it. Going back and reading what some of the critics say, it seems to be overly harsh for on, on the movie. Um, so I agree. Um, I had a good time with it. Uh, this is the part of the show where I have to recommend if you haven't seen this movie that you wait. Go to, go to Netflix right now. It's, on, it's available on Netflix. Watch it for free on Netflix. Uh, check this movie out um, if you haven't seen it. And uh, come back and listen to the rest of the podcast. So from this point on, There'll be spoilers. We'll be back after these messages. You want to reach out to your favorite podcast retro movie roundtable? Yeah! Well, now you can. Simply go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a rating and review. Wow! I didn't know it was so easy. It took me less than 60 seconds. That's right. It's easy. Also, you can follow along and interact with the growing retro movie roundtable community by liking Retro Movie Roundtable on Facebook. Facebook? Wow! Even my parents can use Facebook! <laughs> That's right, Timmy. And if you want to write in to John and Russell, you can also write them at an email at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. I never knew it was so easy to reach out to Retro Movie Roundtable! It is easy, and it helps the podcast gain viewers and grow their community of movie lovers. So, remember, reach out to Retro Movie Roundtable and let them know what you think of them. 
Wow, of the time warp, you know? I mean, uh, that, that, that's modern advertising for you. John's doing work on that time machine, man. <laughs> um, if you don't mind, there will be spoilers going forward, so you were warned. Ben, do you want to give us a plot summary? Yeah, sure. So The Power One is the story of a young English boy named PK. Growing up, he suffered as the only English boy in an Afrikaans school. Soon orphaned, he was placed in the care of a German national named Professor von Wallenstein, a.k.a. Doc, a friend of his grandfather. Doc develops PK's piano talent, and PK becomes assistant gardener in Doc's cactus garden. It is not long after World War II begins that Doc is placed in prison for failure to register with the English government as a foreigner. PK makes frequent visits and meets Piet, an inmate who teaches him to box. Piet uh, spreads the myth of the Rainmaker, the one who brings peace to all of the tribes in the prison. PK is cast in the light of this myth. After the war, PK attends an English private school where he continues to box. He meets a young girl, Maria, with whom he falls in love. Her father, Professor Daniel Murray, is a leader of the Nationalist Party of South Africa. The two fight to teach the natives English as PK's popularity grows via the myth. PK loses focus until he sees the success of his language school among the tribes. Daniel Murray comes to stop PK's English classes and Maria is killed during the fight. He and Gideon Duma continue the work he's done in hopes of building a better future for Africa. Man, when you said uh, Doc von Wallenstein, I was like, that guy sounds like a mad scientist. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm pretty sure he became Red Skull later. <laughs> this is uh, based on a Bryce Courtney 1989 novel titled The Power of One. Brian, what did you think about the plot on this one? I mean, it was a sound uh, plot for a movie of this type. I re- Like I said, I, I enjoyed the movie. Um, I would say that the hardest thing for me and could have been part of the reason for the criticism of it is I didn't feel like the transitions between ages happened subtly and, and sometimes it doesn't, but it just, I felt like there were a lot of hard rights on this. That was a boxing joke. (laughs) So would you have preferred like boyhood where they make like an epic five hour long movie and they just make sure they (laughs) capture every moment of his life? Uh, no, this was, this was, this was definitely long enough. And you don't usually hear me say that. Usually I'm pro longer movies. I'm stunned that you said that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I'm, uh, I'm going against the grain on this one. I'll have razor burn tomorrow. I would say that my big thing with this was it just, it's, when you take the whole, he first starts boxing and then, oh, all of a sudden he's six years older and then all of a sudden he's Steven Dorf. And I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> so I just, I don't know. Maybe I should have been more prepared for the time transitions, but it just seemed very abrupt. Uh, ben, big picture overall. What do you think about the plot? You know, I, I felt really the opposite way. Um, <laughs> I really felt that every each uh, actor that played PK did a really good job of um, kind of reacting uh to all the things that happened to him in a similar kind of, uh, they all had like that humility, but also the frustration that um, kind of made them seem like they were the same character, which sometimes in movies is, you know, it's kind of like that kid didn't look anything like that adult or act like them. But um, I don't know. I felt like it was a little more seamless to me, but um, to each one's own, you know? No. I... Oh, well, no, actually, I, I totally agree with your your analysis of the characters making it mm-hmm. seamless. Like, it really is the same person getting older. I just mean the film 
transitions between time periods. I just I was never really prepared for him to jump in age. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, yeah, I, I, I agree think, with um, your your analysis on the characters. And you know, I I think it happened a little more easily earlier on. It's probably more later on, like you said, like once he's uh, Steven Dorf, <laughs> that that is yeah. a little bit more striking. I enjoyed the uh, history of this so much personally. I I was fascinated right away. I didn't know much about South African uh, history. And so right off the bat, I was like, oh, there's conflicts here. White people not getting along with other white people, white people uh, condemning black people. Uh, I found it to be really interesting how a lot of the history of the United States was paralleled in the history of South Africa. And so I, I just was so fascinated by this. And I thought that the time warp, or not warp, uh, the... Um, Telling the story over time was fun. I tend to like movies like that, like Lee Daniels' The Butler um, or Mr. Holland's Opus. You know, they do a lot of work to take them from uh, young to old. And so, uh, if anything, I, I wonder what he did next. I'm going to go the other direction from Brian. Uh, I, I I was left wanting to see more. Yeah, I think um, I, had a, I had one more thing about the plot, really. The one thing I wasn't a big fan of was uh, the ending. I, I really thought that it... It was good, um, and like I said, I thought that the movie was stronger earlier on, and you know it was still good later on. But once he was uh, at the private school, there were some things that didn't quite add up. But it was mostly just the way that uh, Daniel Craig died. <laughs> that once you um, like, it was just a little easy, you know, to take over that villain. Yeah, and- I felt like people in general in this movie died very quickly. Right. There's a lot of death in this movie. There is a lot of death. We'll talk more about the uh, plot as we go on, but uh, at this point, uh, you can't talk about the plot without talking about the actors sometimes. So, Brian, do you want to give us a cast rundown here? Absolutely. I'm going to go ahead and give a caveat here that if I butcher anybody's name, my most sincere apologies. But uh, we'll start with PK. Uh, Three different actors played PK. Guy Witcher was the first one who played PK at age seven. Simon Fenton played PK at age 12. And Stephen Dorff, as I mentioned earlier, played PK at 18. Armin Mueller-Stahl played Doc. He is absolutely one of my favorite secondary actors. Uh, He plays in a lot of stuff that I've really enjoyed. Jeremiah Menisi plays uh, Dabula Manzi. Ian Roberts plays Hoppy Grunwald, the boxing coach. Uh, John Geilung plays St. John, the headmaster. Faye Masterson plays Maria Morassis. Morgan Freeman plays Gil Piet. Daniel Craig plays Sergeant Joppy Botha. Robbie Bullock plays the younger uh, version of him, which is a uh, teenage Jalopy Botha. They're both really evil guys. Oh gosh, I, I I remember thinking like, God, who? How did the? Of course, this kid's in boarding school. Like the parents were like, Oh my God, the omen happened. Send him to boarding school. <laughs> uh, Dominique Walker, uh, or I'm sorry, Dominic Walker, uh, Maury Gilbert, Alosis Moyo, uh, Gideon Dr- Duma. Uh, Brian O'Shaughnessy, Colonel Bra- uh, Brayton, Marius Weyers, Professor Daniel Morassis. Yeah, that, that seems like the place. Uh, that, that's a- yeah. I, I mean, there are some names in this. I mean, look, 
obviously some of the uh, the the African style names are difficult to pronounce, but man, there's some British ones that are beating me on this too. Yeah, I uh, and IMDb did not help you out with the casting order. The billing uh, from IMDb is uh, order of appearance. Yeah, I want to go on record saying I hate order of appearance. Anybody who uses order of appearance, I'm like, I just what's your thought process? I mean, do you really think it makes it easier for people to remember what's the third character I was introduced to in this movie? I'm very certain uh, I know who the eighth character I saw in the movie was for that for that. Who's the eighth character, yeah. Russell? Mm-hmm. The eighth character. <laughs> <laughs> I always count was it my a ca- boy or a girl? <laughs> I always count my characters as I go into the movie. Um, of course, don't you? Oh, I was just saying, no, I, I, I was saying I'd like to start counting them backwards. <laughs> yes, next time we'll alphabetize them by the fourth letter in their name. Exactly. E- equally useless. <laughs> a few casting comments. I don't know if you guys found any of this interesting. This is Daniel Craig's very first movie. Doesn't surprise me. Um, I, <laughs> that was probably the most striking thing. I think when I was watching this the first time in high school, I didn't really appreciate or care that that was Daniel Craig. You know, I was kind of lazily oh, watching not. it. But, 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 you know, the second time uh, when Yappy Botha was uh, all grown up, I was like, is that, is that Daniel Craig? <laughs> like, it was, That's uh, exactly it was, what I told Ben or uh, Russ. I was like, dude, it's Daniel Craig. Yep, I was watching it with my wife Mary, and she 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 called him out right away. I was like, "No, he'd be he'd be too uh, too young for this." And I looked down, and he wasn't. He that was him. So there's James Bond with his signature scowl early in his career. Uh, and to explain, I'm I'm not a huge fan of him as my James Bond at the moment. But uh, he uh, he's he's okay. He's not terrible, but uh, I I find him to be a little bit of a brooding, scowly James Bond. So. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like him. I, I like Skyfall a lot. Skyfall's awesome. It, it's it, and like I said, it, it's not the movies. It's it's uh, I don't know. I, I, I grew up in Pierce Brosnan era, so I like the Roger Moore. I like the Pierce Brosnan. I like the Connery stuff. So um, Pierce Brosnan's my favorite too. Well, as I'm so fond of reminding a, another friend of ours, this is about a genesis of Bond. He's not to who Bond is until the end of the Daniel Craig series. Well, what is going to be the life-changing event in his life that makes him Roger Moore and then have a fun time? <laughs> it was uh, Eva Green's death. I don't know. He's not. He's not. He's not there yet. I mean, uh, you know, I saw his name on the movie. I got really excited to see it. And uh, Morgan Freeman uh, is lower on this casting than I thought. And then I looked it up. This is in the middle of his rise. He had done Driving Miss Daisy uh, about like two years prior to this, but this is pre Shawshank. Uh, Redemption. This is um, this is before Outbreak. Um, it's kind of interesting this early '90s period that Morgan Freeman has proven himself as a good actor. Like I said in Driving Miss Daisy, but he is not necessarily the powerhouse actor that he goes on to be. And so the fact that he's billed, let's see, like eight people down, depending on how you want to slice the the casting. So that's pretty low to have an actor of that caliber. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. But again, none of the star power was in this movie for all of it. So you had pieces at every level. Uh, I would say it's a little light at the beginning, but pieces at every level, the middle being the strongest. And uh, I, I I would say that was one of the big the movie's biggest detractors. Yeah. 
Ben, any thoughts on Morgan Freeman on this one? I, I, I didn't get the Morgan Freeman I thought we were going to get in this. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I mean, I, I actually really thought his performance was pretty strong. It wasn't really a role, you know, I, I mean, he, I think one of my favorite parts is right before he died. They're uh, directing the song and everything, and uh, the, the prison guard catches him outside, and he's just, like, telling them what they're actually singing as they're singing in, you know, tribal language. You know, he's like, what are they saying? And Morgan Freeman's telling him, like, they're saying that you're cowards. And then he basically kills him. Um, but the juxtaposition of that, you know, scene to the song was really strong. And I thought that he did a really good job there. No, I was sad to see him go. I was really surprised when it happened, too. I, I just figured he was going to be a figure that would be around for a long time. So I'm, I knew he was in trouble when he got yeah. caught uh, while everybody else was singing. But I did not see him uh, and, unfortunately getting killed and really for the rest of his performance a lot of it was just kind of um you know i think he did justice to it because most of it was just teaching pk boxing and just kind of being a you know like somebody's uncle you know just kind of having that familiarity um just a like a family member he's just a really he, he's not really a dramatic character up until the end no that's a good point he had worked with the same director, the director of this movie is John G. Alvidson, and uh, he had worked with him in Lean on, uh, Lean on Me as well before, so this is a returning collaboration for the two of them. So uh, he went back to Morgan Freeman, which was a good choice, and I think it's also interesting that Morgan Freeman plays a prisoner in this movie, and again, I believe in just two more years, in 94, he goes to playing, uh, you know, the narrator and the... Um, inmate in Shawshank Redemption, which is one of his biggest yeah. roles. So, Fast forward a decade later and he's God. <laughs> he is. It's true. And he also knows all about penguins. An interesting casting note I came across was uh, some alternate casting here. I wonder what you guys think about this. Uh, so when considering the role of PK, who is Stephen Dorff, and if you're not familiar with Stephen Dorff, is, it's the bad guy from the first Blade movie when he grows up. So... That was a fun connection as well. Instead of Stephen Dorff, the roles were considered to go to a younger Ethan Hawke and Sean Astin. It's an odd thing because I actually put Stephen Dorff and Ethan Hawke in a, a category of actors that I felt never really got their due signature piece. I'll put Christian Slater in that too. Just guys that I grew up watching in movies. They were kind of popular in the 90s, and they had statement pieces, I felt, that were, you know, good. There was a movie called Taking Lives with Angelina Jolie that Ethan Hawke did a great job in. Uh, Christian Slater in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, I thought was a great part as Will Scarlet. Uh, and then, you know, Stephen Dorff, I enjoyed Blade. He actually has been doing some stuff recently that I'm very excited about. He was cast uh, as one of the main people in the newest uh, or upcoming season of True Detective, which is one of my favorite things in the world. Hmm, that's interesting. What about you, Ben? Uh, are, you ha are you happy with uh, Stephen Dorff, or would you sub in a uh, Ethan Hawke or Sean Astin? So, uh, would you sub either Rudy or... Um, uh, I don't have any signature characters for Ethan Hawke, but uh, would you I'm sub... <laughs> I don't know about Aston. I, I feel like uh, Stephen Dorff did a really good job. Um, you know, I didn't watch a lot of Ethan Hawke movies. Like, I, I feel like Gattaca is the one that stands out to me. Um, mm -hmm. A big sci-fi fan. So, um, but I don't know. I, th I thought Stephen Dorff was probably the right decision. <laughs> you said you're a horror movie fan. Go with Sinister at some point too. 
Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. That's a, you're you're right. But still, <laughs> I go with Stephen Dorff. Yeah, I I actually like both of these actors a ton, but I in this case I'm happy with Dorf. So uh, even though the names are bigger, I would I'd be I'm happy with where I am as well. What do you guys think about the director John G. Alvidson and his job on this movie? Uh, ben, you want to take this one first? I think there was a lot of good storytelling. Um, as I said, I think there was definitely a really good arc to the character. Um, to me, it was pretty seamless. And I mean, it, it takes a good director to do that. I mean, it's it's not really a a simple story. It's definitely a complex story. A lot's going on. A lot's happening to him. And you're maneuvering through, as you said, um, some pretty significant historical eras. So I thought that the character was um, experiencing them coinciding with all of these personal events happening in his life in a very um, seamless way. I thought that the director did a really good job with that. Yeah, Brian, John G. Alvidson, what do you think of the strong points were or the weak points for him on on the uh, on this one? I think you, you mentioned that you might be a little cooler on this movie than Ben. What are your thoughts on Alvidson as a director here? I want to start my piece on this by saying that I have kind of a weird way of ranking movies. Um, I still use a 1 out of 10 scale, but my 1 through 5 is based on how good a movie is. And then my six through 10 is based on rewatchability. So there are movies that I would give a five or a six because they could have been terrible, but man, I'd watch them just like on TNT flipping through channels. I'm going to stop on this. So I guess where this movie rates is, is with a lot of other, I mean, this is a deep film. This brings up a lot of issues that have, you know, occurred that, it's not an easy movie to watch and just doesn't have a lot of rewatchability for me. So, you know, I definitely give it kudos for tackling the subject that it tackles. It was definitely an enthralling piece. I, I, you know, never hit pause and went and did something else. So, you know, I'll, I'll give it, I'll give credit where credit's due, but it just it, not high on my list of, uh, man, I can't wait to watch this again. That's fair. Um, I, I guess for me, like those, I mean, sometimes there are movies that are like super rewatchable that I wouldn't rate as highly as, you know, like a movie like this. Like, I feel like I could watch scary movie over and over again, um, or other comedies, but you know, I probably wouldn't rate them as high as this one, but that's interesting way to look at it. I, again, it's, it's very, it's, it's very singular to me. I, I came up with my own rating scale because I, I recognized a, a difference in how I looked at movies. It's just, it's, it's the easiest way to rank it. So other people can kind of see what I'm saying, not saying that they have to agree with what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I, I do agree with you that it's not a very uh, pleasant, it's, it's not a rewatchable movie. Yeah. There's a lot of bad that happens in it for sure. I mean, uh, let's, let's go through some of those bad things that happened to this, this guy. Like, cause like I said, it's a long list of bad things. I mean, uh, Let's think about it here. Early on, uh, his his dad's dead before he ever comes on the scene. Right. Uh, his mom his mom dies at a very young age, and uh, oh, he's, she sends him off to boarding school because her health's failing, and then she dies while he's away. He gets bullied. I mean, for being he gets peed on. He got peed, he peed on. on. It, at the point it's where tough. he got peed on, I was like, oh my god, please tell me he gets to kill these kids later. <laughs> he gets yeah. He gets the R. Kelly treatment. Um, he, <laughs> He, allegedly, allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> uh, 
So, and then, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> he has, he's given a chicken which makes him feel better, and that's his best friend, which that in itself is sad. But then his chicken <laughs> is killed. I mean, we're not even a quarter of the way in the movie. All of these terrible things have happened. This is still I, when he's a child. This is still in PK number one, and all yeah. these things have happened. Yeah, he's got Lemony Snicket's beat at age seven um, for a series of unfortunate events. And, you know, he goes, he, he, he finds somebody that he shipped off to his grand uh, grandfather who wants nothing to do with him. That's another bad thing. But he uh, gives him a positive mentor and uh, kind of paternal figure, but who he gets to spend time with. So that's good. So he teaches him, educates him. And uh, unfortunately, he gets sent to prison because he's... A refugee of war. He has to go to jail as a what was it? A twelve-year-old? Yeah. Would you have wanted to go to like hang out like with the your, I don't know your your grandfather's friend in jail at age twelve? That that seems crazy to me. Can I pose a question here because this is something I didn't feel like the movie did a great job talking about. Did he actually have to live at that jail, or did he just visit during off time? Actually, it's a good question. Did PK? live there ben you know now that you mention it i actually uh i was reading the description and i don't think he does i never read the book so it might have been more clear then but that's probably something the movie could have done a better job explaining i had big question marks on that i i just it was one of those like is he living there would they put a british kid in the british prison with the german guy because he was teaching him stuff like, like <laughs> there was a whole there's a whole thing i mean they were carrying his piano in the place i was like all right Really? Did you, could you just post a couple guards outside of his house? Like, did you need to move him in? Like, what's the deal here? It, it's a strange notion. Like, think about it in modern day times. It's just like, you know, I'm 12 years old. I'm going to ride over on my bike, go hang out at the prison with my grandfather's friend. And, uh, you know, just chill with him. I'll bring him some cactuses. I'll wrap him in some tobacco leaves. We'll, have, we'll hang out. It'll be great. And I'm going to become, while I'm doing all of this, a giant badass. That is true. Well, if you had to learn to fight, prison seems like a good place to figure it out. So, I was gonna say. I mean, I, I think like you know, given all the circumstances that we just talked about, all the things that he did go through, all the people he lost, he didn't really have anybody else, which does suck. But it's true. Like this guy did teach him, you know, to do some things and teach him about cacti, and not that that would be that interesting. But he didn't really have much else to do. And, um, you know, so I, I can understand, I guess, from his perspective, why he would go. And then definitely, yeah, if we're going to learn to box, that's probably not the worst place. No, I mean, it, it, the bad things don't stop happening. His uh, good friend that he meets there, uh, who teaches him how to box, is killed uh, while, while sneaking around during one of their performances. As he grows up, he's constantly being uh, witness to social injustices that just make him sick and he just doesn't have the power to deal with them or that he, you know, nothing that he can do to overthrow the system. So, and then uh, he finally meets a girl and it doesn't help that her father, like is completely on the other political part of the spectrum from his beliefs and he's forbidden to see her. They see each other and in a truly like Romeo and Juliet kind of fashion. Oh yeah. Uh, the, the conflict ends up killing her. <laughs> so, Oh, naturally. And then he chooses not to go to Oxford, uh, which is an amazing opportunity. So I don't know if I captured it all, but that's the extent of just like how many terrible things happened to one guy. Actually, that the Oxford piece is one of the things that irritated me about the movie, too. 
my my first thing that I thought was going to happen was going to be when he was in that boxing match that he would either take the take the drop or would actually lose to the other guy like legit and that's how I thought it should have gone down so when he won and then they went on this tangent of okay now we're going to do this perception of the rainmaker I I just I would have gone a completely different direction with that. And I started wondering, is like, is this based on a true story? Is this something that really happened? And I was like, I it just seemed like one of those things where he should have gone to Oxford. He should have let this other guy who's learned to read lead his people. And I don't know. It that that was a that was a source of contention for me. You can always go for four years and come back. You know, I, I agree. I, I thought it was kind of weird that he didn't uh, choose to go there. Not a lot of people get into Oxford, so even back then. So, you know, I think he still could have made a difference in maybe even a bigger way, in like a political way. That's if he right. just gone in return. Yeah, I'm with you. I even thought, like, if you want to go learn to be a teacher... I mean, wouldn't that be great? And then, you know, you can come back and be better at You can be better at it. Well, that way, when there's the next war and they say, oh, you're a British guy, then you get to take your piano to jail. Yeah. <laughs> Power of one, two. <laughs> I was just going to say, back to that See, it's scene. a boxing joke. Um, back to that scene uh, when he's fighting Gideon Duma. Duma's, I guess it's his wife, uh, Miriam Sisulu. She and Maria start getting along, and um, Maria is like, I would say this is one of the not so convincing performances. She's very like obviously fake shivering, um, acting very cold. And hey, that's um, Pippi Longstocky you're talking about. <laughs> and Miriam comes over and gives her a blanket, and she's just like, "Oh no, I couldn't." She's like, "It's fine, it's fine," and she's just so sickeningly sweet. And I mean, it's like you kind of love her, but you're also just like, ugh. Um, it was just a little. I, I just blanket has malaria. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, like the but the two things I had, I had a little bit of an issue with both of those characters because I think Maria, I'm sorry, but just coming from where she was coming from in that era, I just think it's very unlikely that she, you know, would rebel against her parents and go to this. But on top of that, the first time she ever does, she just immediately is very nice, you know, and receptive to that. Um, you know, gift of the blanket for Miriam. Miriam, on the other hand, I, I could understand why she would be completely pissed at Maria. And I guess you, you know, I guess the lesson is kill them with kindness, but this movie is just a little optimistic about race, race relations during apartheid, which is a pretty common criticism. And I think that that criticism was a little too harsh in general. Like it wasn't that bad, but it was a little rosy. And that scene, I was just kind of like, come on. <laughs> One blanket will help everything out. Blanket. Exactly. I have a blanket. Now a blanket. I understand your your point of view. Yeah, that's that's an interesting flaw that I hadn't quite picked up on. It felt good when I watched it, so I didn't really question. I was like, oh, right. oh that's nice. Yeah. I mean, is... her dad's her dad's a. Dick. He is. So and, oh, yeah. and and women women weren't treated well back then. So I mean, if she had any inkling on rebellion anyway, which teenagers are tend to do anyway so she likes a boy who has different beliefs that she's kind of getting into which makes sense that in itself is a rebellion like she's going to the opposite right. thing that her dad likes which this actually sounds pretty believable an 18 year old girl That's would true. do that you know it's just like yeah, they I, just 
so right off the bat got along and like I know that's the point but just somehow I I don't know I well I she did just, just watch him beat the hell out of some guy in a boxing ring I mean I'm not gonna pretend to understand the uh various uh, avenues to what girls find attractive but <laughs> I think they were pretty into each other from a, a physical standpoint before it was a political one. I think it's the whole package. I mean, sometimes it just excites a teenage a teenager just to go for that thing that your parents aren't going to like. I mean, oh yeah. It, I mean, the equivalent would be like uh, you know if you're from like some like white bread suburban kind of home or whatever. You're like it's like I'm after that goth chick over there, you know, and with all those tattoos and stuff like that, and she's edgy and stuff like that. So he was that. You know, he's that tough guy. He didn't have a motorcycle and, like, a leather yeah. jacket and all that stuff. Well, but, that I mean, he, he was a rebel to her. I I understand why she likes him. I just didn't – I just – I feel like I was uncomfortable when Miriam Sulu, the wife of Gideon Duma, like, when she was getting along with her so well, you know, and they were just both being so nice to each other. I don't know. Like, I, I'm glad that it happened and that's how it should have happened, but it just seemed a little unrealistic. Going back to uh, Av- Avildsen, um, the this is the final of four collaborations with John G. Av- Avildsen and screenwriter Robert Mark Kamen, who they had done the Karate Kid franchise, some uh, other fighting movies. We have we haven't mentioned it. Uh, Avildsen's greatest accomplishment, uh, he won an Oscar for uh, Rocky. So, and uh, he did Rocky Five as well. So. This guy has done a lot of fighting movies, and while this isn't a pure fighting movie, there's there's definitely a fair... Boxing has a large presence in this movie as well, so I was a little surprised to see that because Rocky's fight scenes are so long, so dramatic, so such a big production, and I thought one thing that it was like the boxing in this movie started to become a bigger thing, and I thought, oh, this is going to kind of turn into a boxing thing. There never was this giant fight, like the fight against his friend... Uh, from the uh, from the black side of the uh, community, Gideon Duma was this. It's it's the guy who, uh, you know, helps to learn English with him and stuff like that when they fight each other. Um, I think that was Duma, right? Okay, maybe I got it right. Um, at any rate, uh, th- that fight was the big moment, and it was pretty short. And I thought that if this is one of those high action crescendo parts of the movie. You would have thought they would have lingered there a little bit longer. You would have thought they would have gotten into the emotion on each other's faces and you would have seen what they were really fighting for. That's something that he has in Rocky. Uh, Alvidson does so well in Rocky. Um, That doesn't come across here as much. And I'm surprised because he's already done Rocky. He knows how to make a movie like that. You know, I wonder when we were talking about the length of the movie, um, given that it is Alvidson, like, I wonder if he originally... Um, had a cut or something that was longer and included something like that because I agree I think that could have been fleshed out a little bit more. I feel like in general I'm I'm not as much into the fighting movies So like I but I was able to appreciate this one because of everything else that was going on around it and Was more excited when it came up because of everything that led up to it um, But yeah, I, I really think if you were gonna give link to this movie it would be um, making not only this but some of the other later parts of the movie um, a little bit more fleshed out. Yeah. Um, another interesting thing that I saw, I was watching some interviews with Alvidson, not specifically about this movie, but he did make reference into making this movie. And uh, he mentioned the waterfalls that uh, are in this movie, which is a beautiful scene, by the way. I would love mm-hmm. to go there. Um, he said that 
there was no specific mission at that point. So they, they took footage that they worked with it that he said, when you're in Africa, capture Africa. You don't know what you're going to use, but you have to get a lot of it. He said, later on, I needed a montage of the waterfall or I felt like I needed a transition by shooting the savannah. I could not have done that if I hadn't been resourceful and taken the moments to find the shots and to get those and to have that in my arsenal. So I thought that was an interesting tool bag. You, you know, he's just basically collecting stuff, figuring out when it'll work. And that kind of seems a little more haphazard than a lot of the other, my notion of uh, filmmaking, but um, very accomplished director. Uh, that was an interesting comment that he made on that. So I wonder if other directors do that and you don't realize that as much. Probably. I, I totally agree that that scene where he's kind of finding himself was was absolutely gorgeous. Makes you really want to see it yourself. I want mm-hmm. to go to there to quote Liz Lemon. <laughs> um, yep. One last thing about the storytelling is uh, I, I tried to look up information about the book uh, and without buying an essay on it for uh, so you could cheat in high school on your book report. I didn't actually do that uh, to take it that far. But uh, one thing, one of the big takeaways that I can see is that the love story between Maria and PK is not as big a, a feature of the book. And Hollywood has a tendency to do this, to say, we well, got to get a love story in here. This whole interest in Pippi Longstocky um, <laughs> was perhaps a little bit uh, forced by either production sides or from just what the people want. Um so I thought that was an interesting thing. It, it, it seemed like that part of the story, particularly how she dies, leaves me a little bit like, whoa, that's a sobering finish. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I'd say what went into this was loss has always driven this kid. So the continuing archetype of loss in his life is something that drove him to make the quote unquote right decision to stay as opposed to leave. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and one other movie that Alvinson did do was uh, Save the Tiger. That that received a lot of critical success and three Oscar nominations as well for like including Jack Lemmon for Best Actor. So, again, this guy had a lot of cachet coming into this. He had had blockbuster hits like Karate Kid, and he had had uh, you know uh, critically revered movies. So, uh, this is towards the end of his career, though. After this, there's only eight seconds in Inferno. After Karate Kid 3 and Rocky 5, uh, which are kind of coming back around to things that he had done before, this this is, unfortunately, this didn't perform well in the box office. Uh, it, it lost money, apparently, and this is the beginning of the decline for Albertson. So that's kind of sad. I think he was uh, pretty old at this point. Um, but the yeah, like, when you say that they had a loss, I think that, um, from what I'm seeing, they grossed $2.7 million and the budget was $18 million. Yeah. So. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, it's 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 a loss. But um, again, it's a better movie than that. I feel like more people should have seen it. I don't know what they opened up against, but uh, it, it definitely didn't do well in the box office. Well, I mean, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but Reservoir Dogs was better. Well, it placed directly uh, ahead of it one spot, so it didn't smash the box <laughs> office either. And like I said, Newsies, uh, oh, I, a movie I, that I, I liked it. as a kid, uh, you know, behind it. So uh, there's some other good movies around there. So let's talk about the location. We gotta get it. We gotta get into the history just a little bit. Uh, maybe a maybe a lot of it. We'll see because it's the biggest part of this movie. This movie is uh, set in South Africa during World War II. As, and if you're not sure where South Africa is, it's in the name. It's at the south part of Africa. 
It's a uh, it's filmed in Surrey, England, uh, where so the the scenes of the school where he goes to uh, boarding school and stuff for um, when he's older. Uh, that's in England. Uh, it's shot in Zimbabwe, so that's uh, the waterfalls and the scenes of the savanna and all that stuff. A large portion of the movie is shot in Zimbabwe, and then uh, you've got the Warner Brothers Burbank Studios in California do, you know more controlled indoor scenes and stuff like that as well. So that's where the movie gets made. And uh, PK would be born in 1930, uh, you know, in the times are 1937, so pre-World War II there at age 7, age 12 when World War II is kicked in gear, and then 1948 uh, as he's older. And that's an interesting part of the history that I can go into a little bit. But let, before I do, what do you guys think about the feel, the location, the texture of the movie? Ben? It was nothing like the 30s and 40s South Africa that I remember. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, I, I thought that the costuming was really good. We were saying we felt a little bit like some of the women's costumes were a little Mary Poppinsy, but maybe that's just how they dressed back then. I don't know. Definitely the, the, the vibe and the feel. I, I feel like um, earlier on, just um, some of the scenes with the vistas and like with the witch doctor and the chicken, all of that was very convincing to me. That's a good call. That, was, that is one of the best wardrobe moments, the, the Bulamanzi. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And somehow the boarding school uniforms worked really well to make uh, the uh, Nazi horrible bully and to... <laughs> See, like it just it clicked for him like it's just like yeah it seems like something a little nazi boy would like so <laughs> uh, anyway uh brian what do you think about uh what, what did you take away from the look and feel of this movie uh, I, I like the old cars the street scenes they put in there uh like uh, particularly as pk is older uh those scenes to me are some of the most uh interesting moments that give you a sense of place Absolutely. I think a lot of or I think they did a great job on the vast majority of all those pieces, especially when they show the slums of uh, was it Alexandria that they were yeah. calling it? Um, it actually reminded me a lot of uh, other South African and African movies like District Nine. Now, granted, these are all uh, futuristic ones, but District Nine and Chappie and and stuff like that. I would say that there's a ongoing piece to say, hey, you know, stuff's still wrong here. It's not right. So be aware. Interesting. There's one scene I just thought of. The the owner of the place where PK ended up boxing is painting. You know, they're getting in trouble because it's it's an interracial, you know, both races can box there and, and practice. The way that he paints the white man fighting the black man, I, I was like, that is just literally how they would probably paint people back then. It just looked very convincing as well. <laughs> so I, I probably did too much research for this, but I, I got to share it anyway. Uh, I looked up the kind of the history of South Africa, and it's really interesting. This movie does a really good job of kind of giving you a good perspective of it. So um, the Dutch settles into South Africa and to Cape Town, and they are known as Boers or uh, Afrikaans. Uh, they fight with the indigenous people right away, so there's conflict right away once the Europeans hit there. In 1800s, though, the British come and they steadily start to take control, and there's something called the Boer Wars, and the British fight the Dutch. And so that's part of that hatred that you see in the Afrikaans or the Dutch descent 
uh, students that PK is thrown into. So there's a reason he's not popular just for being English. By 1833, the British uh, Empire bans slavery, but uh, like the U.S., they're treated horribly and and as inferior second-class or even lower than second-class citizens. So the seeds of racism are there long before apartheid takes takes shape. So by 1910, South Africa unifies, and the South African Act bans blacks in Parliament. So by making this rule that keeps the local native people out of power, then they're able to push through a ton of horribly segregating policies. So in the 1940s, uh, the Boers did not like Britain, so they, uh, or the Afrikaans didn't like Britain, so they did tend to side with the Nazis. And it's not a coincidence that the Nationalist Party, which is mentioned to in this movie, kind of has some of those similar approaches of like pure genetics. This is our homeland. This is who we are. And um, they gain control, unfortunately. And a lot of rules that are very similar and parallel, the Jim Crow laws and the southeastern part of the United States start to come to rise. And through through other policies long before apartheid is technically there. And that led to apartheid. So uh, apartheid is racial segregation that happened in South Africa in 1948. And it's based on white supremacy and it broke everything into separate zones. It made it illegal for you to have same sex, uh, sorry, uh, it made it illegal for you to have sexual relationships across race lines. You couldn't marry people. Uh, Later on, it gets to the part where they break it into four, you're either black, white, colored, or Indian. And based on that, that would determine what language you had to speak, what, where you had to go, what kind of jobs you could do. And then later on, they get really ugly about it in the 60s to the 80s. There's a Group Areas Act. 3.5 million non-white South Africans like get ripped out of their homes and they're forced into segregated neighborhoods, mass evictions. Uh, it, it's hard to believe this stuff is happening in late in history. This is after World War II. And most of these are targeted at South African uh, black population, uh, and they're moved into quote-unquote tribal homelands, which are 10 designated areas, not so unlike what we did with Native American reservations. Peaceful resistance in the 1950s was popular on their part because they took influence from Gandhi, and over time, that doesn't work. And so they get more and more violent, and they rebel. Uh, Mandela is one of those rebels who is thrown into prison for 29 years, and it dikes all the way until 1991 when legislation pulls that apartheid back, and the ramifications of that still are being played out to today from the strong divisions in that. So Mandela gets out of prison after 27 years in prison and becomes the first black president in 94. Like I said, it's still playing out to this day, so I just thought that was so interesting, but how good of a job did this movie do to help put you in that zone? I think it did a pretty good job. I mean, I, I, particularly the first time I watched it, I was a little confused, um, which is understandable. You know, you explaining the, um, the Dutch settlement and how that related to how they felt about the English from the beginning, um, you know, might be helpful to somebody going into the movie, you know. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I thought it did a pretty good job um, explaining it without just saying it outright. Yeah. I mean, uh, the British put their stamp everywhere. They, they, they had a way of pushing people around wherever they went. So uh, certainly drew yeah. resentment from everybody. At least in the very beginning, uh, they did have a text trying to kind of set that up. 
you know, I, I thought that they did a good job of storytelling as far as the setting was concerned. Brian, I mean, how did you feel watching? Uh, I always get, it's funny, like we're, we're people in the modern era and uh, we've come a long way since then, still a ways to go. But like, I, I get so mad when I watch this and I remember that people actually acted this way and worse when you sit there and watch. It's like, no, they're, they have darker skin than I do. We should do all these terrible things to them. I don't get that. Well, with every younger generation that comes out, becomes progress. Uh, at least that's the hope. Um, I do think that one of the, and not to get too political with this, uh, I do think one of the uh, weird ironies of this movie is that the British are set up to be the progressives when British imperialism, yeah, anyway, set, set up a whole host of problems across the world. You know, the sun never set on the British Empire. So, um, yeah, they're, they're definitely not blameless. Uh, they're not the white hat in this movie, the way that it comes out to, uh, to seem. And, uh, I think that's, that's some of the criticisms that, uh, we as Americans get. So it's, um, that's a good you know, point. That's, that, that is a good not, point. Not, not, not necessarily something that's, uh, completely over and done with, but I like to think things are getting better. Uh, like I said, it, it, there's uh, for some reason always work to do. You know what I always think will help bring everybody together? Aliens. Like, if, oh yeah, you know, yeah, if, 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 Star Trek First Contact. You know, hands if, down. You know, arrival. If, what I would like to see happen is a bunch of overly confident aliens who come here thinking they're going to kick our butts, but we easily handle them. But like, it, it drives everybody together. <laughs> well, everybody knows it just takes water and bacteria. One other thing I wanted to bring up before we move on is the soundtrack. Do you guys like the music in this movie? It's Hans Zimmer. You know, I mean, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a big Zimmer fan, so I, I will give a a general yes. Ben, same. You know, I, I it's not it doesn't stand out. It doesn't have the same like ring to it as The Lion King or even Interstellar. Like I thought that was a great soundtrack, but I mean, it, it was very right for this movie. No, but if you look. So closely it's two years prior to the lion king it's an african flavored movie and uh or that's not flavored i don't know it's not a dish um it's <laughs> it, it, it's it's an african uh, set movie and so those influences that i think zimmer is experimenting with and getting into probably go a long way in helping him shape the lion king that and makes sense yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I'll also say that, uh, you know, just being a, a, a music enthusiast myself, like there, there are certain things about various cultures that I find uh, very appealing. And this style of music, this type of music is is one of them. I, I, I think there's something very, um, to borrow a word from another culture, very zen about it. So let's uh, ask... How does this movie affect you? How do you relate to it? Ben? I can't relate to much of this, <laughs> to much of, like, at least what PK is going through. Um, I guess the part that um, that I related to the most is at the point where he's talking about um, the voices of Africa, like, and he's saying, you know, I heard my mother and my nanny and... Um, a lot of the people that he had lost, and but the people that he had also learned from. I mean, you know, I have people like that that uh, stand out to me, you know, in many different places in the country and throughout my life. That um, things that they taught me, 
and told me it stuck with me. So at least when it came to that part, you know, I, I definitely related to it. But when it comes to all the loss and having to get through all the things that were going on in his life and in that era, I, I can't exactly relate, <laughs> of course. No, that's fair. I mean, uh, Brian, how does this movie affect you when you watch it? I mean, outside of the, you know, the, the thread of positivity that things move forward, uh, anger. I was, I was so mad during parts of this movie, as we brought up earlier, I was, I was upset when that chicken died. Uh, I was just thinking about periodically throughout this movie, there were just people where I was like, yep, I'd shoot him in the face. No problem. <laughs> like the sergeant, like I was like, how has no one shot him yet? He needs to be shot in the face like stat. So I, you know, I, I don't think of myself as a incredibly violent person, but man, there were some people that needed some violence in this movie. I think it would be interesting to go back in time so often and to go to the different places to see how things were. But uh, this is one of those moments where it's just like the political climate. Again, we're, we're, we're coming from a different mindset now. And to be able to go back there and watch those things would just be so hard to sit there and watch. And uh, again, th this isn't even being talked at like it's a two-way issue. It's just like, this is a matter of fact. Like, you can't use the same water fountain. And w the logic that ever got you to that place to actually be there to watch that must have been so frustrating. And I, 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 I totally see where you're coming from on that, Brian. Um, and little did they know that no one should use water fountains. <laughs> you know, I remember this reminds me of Mr. Hall's seventh grade his science class when he drew a Petri dish of the water fountain water and the toilet water and the Petri dish from the toilet uh, was cleaner than the water fountain. So uh, drink more out of the toilet. That's... So... <laughs> So I'm saying, like, little did they know, you shouldn't drink from water fountains. No, but for me, uh, actually, the scene that, like, really resonated with me was uh, the boxing scene. Uh, he just zonked out of what he's doing, and there's this pretty redheaded girl in the crowd, and it captures his eye, and it just, in a weird way, it reminded me of my first year in architecture studio and college, and, you know, everybody's there, we're doing work, you're in a big room full of people, and um, I was distracted by a pretty redheaded girl sitting, uh, you know, I don't know, 40 feet uh, away from me. And uh, I just uh, was captivated by her. And just lucky me later on, um, that, that later became my wife. So uh, I uh, was distracted. I didn't do my work as well in some cases. Uh, and I've being uh, pulled out of it. And I, if I had been boxing, I probably would have gotten hit. Uh, and turns out uh, looking at people in the crowd is a very bad strategy when you're boxing. So that's, for some reason, I just, that little scene there resonated with me. I think it's superlative time. What do you guys think? Sure. Yeah. All right. Ben, why don't you kick us off here? Give us your MVP of The Power of One. Probably, I mean, I, I have kind of two arguments. I'd say Steven Dorff. I mean, I, I think he did a really good job. Um, but I also think that it wouldn't have been the same without Morgan Freeman in that metal section. Um, so it's that it's kind of a toss up between the two for me. Interesting. I'm, I, 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 you may hear more about that one here in a second. I, I like both of those thoughts. Uh, Brian. I, I definitely give bad props to uh, uh, Stephen Dorff. I think he's been an underrated actor his entire career. Um, really look forward to what he's going to do with uh, True Detective season three. But uh, 
actually, I'm going to give my superlative to uh, Mueller Stahl. Uh, he has been a uh, secondary actor in so many movies that I love. And he's just one of those guys that I also think, given his, his more advanced age, doesn't get the credit he deserves. He was in uh, The International. I absolutely love that movie. Uh, he was in the first X-Files movie. He was in The Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Game. Gosh, The Game was so good. Um, he's just one of those guys that I, I just, I get excited when he is a secondary actor in something and I don't realize I'm like, yeah, that guy. Yeah. So, uh, Armin Mueller-Stahl plays Dr. Von Volenstein and I'm going to go like Ben, I'm going to go with, uh, Steven Dorff on this one. I think he's just really underrated. I don't know how he's not been in more movies. I loved him in Blade too. So, um. Not, mm-hmm. uh, sorry. Oh yeah, I like him in Blade. 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 The, the first, first Blade movie also, was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The, the Blade also, not Blade Two, which I would like to also say I did not like that movie, but um, I was all right with that one. Um, best supporting actor, Ben. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of said there was an argument to be made that I, I don't think he's really the MVP, but I do think that uh, it wouldn't have quite been the same without him playing Pete. Brian. Well, after. Basically, using a supporting actor as my favorite actor piece in this, um, I'll uh, I'll give the nod to uh, Morgan Freeman on this. Uh, I definitely did not realize he was in it. I actually didn't look at the IMD piece at all before I started watching this, so I got to watch this movie completely fresh, and that doesn't happen for me very often. So. All of the people that ended up being in this movie were a complete surprise, and that actually made it a better movie for me. So you got a surprise Freeman. (laughs) I got a surprise Freeman. I got a surprise Dorf. I got a surprise everybody. That just sounds like a fighting move, like a surprise Freeman. (laughs) Um, uh, For Best Supporting Actor, I'm going to go with Alois Moyo, uh, who plays Gideon Duma, and uh, he's the friend who loses the fight who are just PK to teach English, as I mentioned earlier. It's just one of the more compelling characters. Uh, ben has some points that the waters are probably a little muddied uh, by some of the story there in the later chapter, but I liked his enthusiasm and his big smile. And, um, you know, if you can talk a guy out of going to Oxford on a full ride scholarship, you're pretty, con- <laughs> you're pretty convincing. So um, That's true. Um, can I can I give a shout out real quick? Yeah. Uh, Dominic Walker, who plays Maury Gilbert, uh, it's uh, Stephen Dorff's high school friend. I don't know if you guys felt this at all. I kept waiting for the minute where he betrays him. Oh, I know like, what you mean. Yeah. His his story was better, and they're both going to Oxford, but he doesn't have any parents. I just felt like at some point in time it was going to be that guy that ends up ratting him out and he goes to prison or something like that. I just kept waiting for that shoe to drop and it never did. So I want to give a shout out to the good friend. <laughs> More on that later for me, but I'm, I'm going to reserve a few comments there. I, I also give a nod while you're at it. Just a nod uh, for Best Supporting Actor. Marius Weirs, uh, who plays uh, Professor Daniel Marius, who is also Maria's dad. This guy does a good job of playing an absolute jerk. Uh, you know, like Brian said, this is one of the, this is probably the number one. Guy, well, I don't know. Daniel Craig's pretty bad about wanting to hit him in the face too. But <laughs> this guy just made me go like, would somebody just punch that guy? Like, just mm, give him a give him a punch. That's that's good acting. So you know, good villains in this movie. It did. There are a lot of good villains. A lot of people that needs 
need to be punched in the neck. Yeah, villains are villains are pretty important to me, so I, they definitely. You know, one of the things that really tipped it over the, the edge for me too is like at his daughter's funeral, he goes to pick up a shovel and like he wants to like go hit PK. Have you learned nothing? <laughs> you know that another thing about oh that, yeah, it's his fault, not the cop that hit her in the face. Yeah. One of the things about that scene and also the scene right after, um, right after he beats Gideon Duma, um, Stephen Dorff does a great job acting in silence, and. I really yep. think that his face when he went after him with the shovel was just so you could just feel the anticipation and the strength. I, I just really thought it was great. I completely agree with that. I was just like, oh, yeah, come at me with that shovel. I will own you, son. Yeah. So, so <laughs> Hidden Jim, Ben. Hidden Jim, I'm actually um, this one I've, I'm more excited about really than the other two. I, I think. Guy Witcher, uh, seven-year-old PK, I thought he was great. Um, I, I, he was just so um, innocent when he was asking, oh, PK, what does that stand for? And he's like, it stands for, no, well, actually, no, that's not what it was. Um, when they called him Piss Cop, he was like, that's not my name. It's Peter Philip Kenneth Keith. <laughs> like, you know, he was just so. Um, <laughs> matter of fact like, and proper. <laughs> right, matter of fact and proper. And I don't know, I, um, throughout the whole thing, he was just a very, like, of all the unpleasant things to watch in the movie, I felt like he was a really, um, he was definitely a light. No, absolutely. Uh, Brian, who's your hidden gem? Hidden gem's going to be the boxing coach that they eventually um, get to train him uh, that ran the mixed gym. Ian Roberts. Uh, yep. Uh, I, I've enjoyed his character in, uh, future roles, although he typically does play a bad guy. He does. Um, I do really like his, his role in this because I felt like it showed that it's not just a younger generation that can think differently. It's just the progression that there's more of us than there are of you. And the ones who think a certain way are only getting older. Uh, this is not a deep cut uh, for a hidden gem, but I, it's debatably just a supporting actor. But I'm going to go with Daniel Craig on, on my hidden gem. Uh, maybe I'm stretching it too much. I, I thought he does a great job of being a villain. I've said this many times before uh, uh, and condemning him as being not the best Bond in the world. I think he'd make a great Bond henchman. I think he does this stern, like, like I just want to ruin you, like kind of like yeah. vengeful. Uh, and honestly, he's good in Munich too. He plays this like hitman who goes off the rails. Yeah, Munich was fantastic. And so um, I don't see him much as a hero, to be honest with you. And this movie just solidified that for me. So really good job for Daniel Craig. And I'm not saying uh, it's that sounds like a backhanded compliment, like me saying you're a bad Bond. But I think he is good as a villain, and this is proof of it. So, well, can, can um, I pose a question to you, Russ, real quick? What's that? Is James Bond a hero? Uh, I, uh, to me, he is, but uh, apparently we're, we're second-guessing all of that now. So, uh, well, No, I guess my point yeah, is... We really got to do a Bond movie soon. <laughs> if, if your sole profession in life is to kill people that your government says needs to be killed... Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, he's a, he's, he is a, he's a blunt instrument of the government, so... Um, uh, best shot, Ben... Recast. This is one of my favorites. Uh, if you could recast or had to recast somebody in the in, in the cast, and who would you who would it be, and who would you put in their place? Ben. Hmm. 
I don't know who I would put in her place, but I might have recast uh, the actress who played Maria. Who was a redhead in the 90s? Uh, the problem is you got to go young enough, and that's why the, the, the people yeah. who fit the Shirley theme. Manson. She doesn't have to be redheaded in theory. Nothing in the story said, man, she has to have red hair. So uh, you can just go with anybody at the right age in theory. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I it wasn't even really that I could think of somebody to replace her with. I just sometimes, and it also might have just been the direction, but she sometimes her character just kind of annoyed me, if you couldn't tell. Um, like when he, and also I don't know how he did this, but when he was like climbing up the lattice to, you know, the Romeo and Juliet moment to get to her balcony to talk to her, I don't even know how he got on the grounds of the house, you know, like with the way that the dad was, but she was just like perfectly looking through a telescope up, you know, I was like, would she really be doing that? Like, I guess that's not the actress's fault though. So yeah, I don't, uh, just I, little things about her annoyed me and maybe part of it was the direction, but I, I don't know, maybe the actress could have been different. Uh, that's fair. I mean, uh, I, I liked her, but I mean, I, I thought she had less uh, to uh, I thought the role didn't have much to offer, so to speak. But uh, yeah, that's true. Brian recast. You know, after I started thinking about the other people that you had uh, mentioned were up for PK, I would have watched a Ethan Hawke PK and I would also watch a um, Christian Slater PK. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to go a little bit deeper. I honestly was pretty happy with the casting here. So this is a little bit of a cop out, but I did not like PK's mom. Uh, she exuded no warmth. Uh, she's in the <laughs> beginning just a little bit, but um, she's even for a hands off, let the nanny take care of that mother. I just, I, I didn't like this. Uh, and it's Tracy Brooks Swope as the actress. Um, way overcasting the part. Um, but it's just along the lines of uh, what I'm looking for in general. So obviously this part's not big enough for her, but I, Andy McDowell is somebody who I thought was around at that era who I thought would be a, a better mom for PK. And uh, so could even... But wasn't the, wasn't the whole tenor of this is nobody loves you except the people who have no connection to you whatsoever? It's fair. I had a hard time recasting somebody. I really was stretching it. So, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. It's... Uh, that's a that's a tough one. Best shot, Ben. Um, I think it's the waterfall scene. Uh, I I think those that's Victoria Falls. Mm -hmm. So I mean that was gorgeous. So that's that's probably what I'd go with for best shot. I'm gonna I'm gonna double that. And, uh, I concur. So uh, I'm with you on that one, Brian. Um, Without making it a three-peat, uh, I'm going to go a different direction with it and go with a demoralizing scene. And it was the first shot of Alexandria. It's not a beautiful thing, but it's something that resonates that this, is, this was a standard of living for these people. And I felt like it resonated very heavily. Yeah, you're, that's a good point. That's a, a good other way to go with it. I'm always on, looking for the positive, but uh, you're right. That was poignant. Um, what is your favorite scene, Ben? I think my favorite scene, I have two. Um, I, I mentioned both of them, but, uh, the witch doctor curing his bedwetting. Um, that was a really good scene with the, he was, you know, doing what he was doing. And then he had the visions of the elephant, which I think he, I think he said that his father was killed, uh, yeah, because he was killed by an elephant. So like you could see kind of like the fear and him overcoming it. Um, but I guess, 
that's one of them. And my other one is, uh, I hate to do too, but um, probably, like I said, when Morgan Freeman died, um, hearing the prisoners singing the song, like that was a very strong moment for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my favorite scene would be the tribe singing together and the, and the prison camp. I liked the shots that they had taken from behind the people and you could see their arms up in the air. It's not a movie with a lot of levity and the fact that they are sneaking these uh, condescending lyrics about the guards through in front of them and like, I really enjoyed that. And I right. also loved the scene uh, how like you got this man, like this uh, prison, uh, the, guy, the man in charge comes out there in this white beard and is like, tell these people that I'm not doing this for them. I'm only letting them do this because of this man here. And then, like, he says something completely the opposite. And it's hilarious to see everybody react positively. We hope you're the show, <laughs> that kind of thing. It's like, I, what did you tell them again? I, I just said, I, I, tell them to stop clapping. They're bad people and I don't like them. And then, like, they get happier. So I, I, I really enjoyed that scene. Brian, best scene. Um. I, you know, I, I really agree with that, but um, I would say that the hint that people remember where he's in his boxing, you know, school and all of a sudden the people start singing outside because they remember what he did. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you're um, the director and you can change one thing, Ben, what, what are you going to change? Um, I mentioned this earlier, but I would definitely change um, Daniel Craig's death, Yapi Bada's death. I feel like that ending just seemed a little too easy. Um, you know, it was like you go around this shack and you shoot and you miss and you go around the other one and then you make it and, you know, everything's over. And um, I don't know, it was just a little, there, was, there wasn't much, there wasn't any sensational ending. I, it was just kind of, you know, oh, well, it's over. Steven Dorf didn't think it was easy. True. Brian, <laughs> Brian, change one thing. Um, and only one. I, I can with, tell you're a little more conflicted here. Yeah, I, I got to go with the ending. Um, I, I would have liked a little bit more of a, um, like a definitive, like we go off backpacking to change the world, which I know that's kind of the, the theme of the, movie was yeah. you know go, going forth to change things but i don't know something something a little bit more concrete something a little bit more like and two years later everyone who was a bad guy died <laughs> i'm gonna go with uh on this one i'm gonna say uh maury uh gilbert uh who is dominic uh walker uh the actor is dominic walker but maury gilbert his best friend in high school seemingly comes out of nowhere and like this movie is narrated and he he makes sure to tell you like my best friend in the world was a chicken and like <laughs> you know then we get to like you know college or sorry high school and it's just like oh boop, i have a best friend and furthermore we are in complete alignment he's supportive of my boxing and he's my manager and we're gonna go to oxford together and he he has money and i don't sometimes he helps me out and i'm um, just like where is this guy from? And that's what Brian was telling you. Like, these guys are going to be rivals when you first meet them, and they're not, and they're on the same page. And I I know it's a long movie, 
but I think either through the narration or something that you need to have the introduction of who Maury is. And there's nothing really wrong with the actor. It's just that relationship is has me questioning the whole time. And furthermore, he's kind of just like there, like he's almost a parrot. Like he just says whatever, he says whatever um, PK says. And so... I want to see him have a little more of a, uh, like, all the conversations they have, they always agree on everything. So he's kind of a yes man, and um, I don't think it's very realistic, you know, for a best friend, so. I think that's a a really good one that I didn't really pick up on it, but now that you mention it, it it definitely could have been improved. And I think Brian's point at the end was it it, it chose a strange place to end, and I I can certainly see that one as well, but... uh, the, who is this Maury kid? That really got to me. Um, yeah, it, it's it's not something that needed a hundred percent closure, but maybe more than you know the start of Motorcycle Diaries. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, best quote in the movie, Ben. Um, I think it's uh, you know, what are they singing? And then Morgan Freeman says they run this way, they run that way. They're confused. They're afraid. And the the guard is like, we're afraid, we're afraid. And he starts hitting him and, you know, Morgan Freeman says, you're cowards. And, uh, you know, then he basically beats him to death. But like that, that part, I think, um, is very strong. You know, if you had to have dying words and uh, it's nice to get the one up on somebody before you go. So, uh, exactly. yeah, uh, sure. so, uh, that, that, that does take courage. Brian, best quote. Um... I'm going to go with good conversational debate as the end in itself. And taking for the love of conversation is what makes us human. Okay. I'm going to go with uh, the boxing advice Morgan Freeman, Gil Pete, gives uh, PK when he's teaching him to box. He says, little beat big when little smart. First with the head, then with the heart. You can remember that. And um, I'm not a big person. So, uh, you know, determination when you're playing sports or in other walks of life or whatever, uh, it's, uh, I like that. I like that uh, you've got to want it more than them, and uh, I relate to that, so. You know, um, I, can I just throw in there one more? Yeah. Another really good one uh, was when PK was talking to Maria's nationalist father, and uh, he had just told him that he could not see his daughter, and um, they were kind of debating about, you know, their differing philosophies. And uh, her father says, well, you no doubt learned that from your English school. And, um, you know, they said something else. And then PK turns around and right as he's leaving and he's like, actually, I learned that from a German national or a German uh, cactus who, enthusiast. Uh, yeah, a German cactus you know, enthusiast. I, I thought that was a pretty good one, too. Um, so it's time to give those five star rating. Oh, before I do that though, Ben, do you want to plug anything? Um, yes, actually. So, uh, the thing that I'm the most excited about in the uh, movie industry right now is the upcoming Dune movie. Um, it's based on the book by Frank Herbert. And right now, uh, Timothy Chalamet from Call Me By Your Name is cast to be the lead and Rebecca Ferguson from Mission Impossible is going to be his co-star. Um, it's going to be directed by Denis Villeneuve, who also directed Arrival and um, several other Oscar-nominated movies. So I don't know. I'm I'm really excited about it. I think everybody 
that's lined up is uh, going to do a great job. Keep your eyes on that. Five star rating scale. Uh, what do you rate this movie, Ben? I was really between a three and a four. I'll give it a four because it had emotional grab, really good acting, and a character with an interesting life. Um, but it was pretty close. Uh, Brian? I'm going to go with a 3.5. I'm, I'm sticking to my scale uh, as far as um, I, I, I give it two and a half to three stars for the fact that I think it was a good movie, but very little rewatchability. So I'll go with 3.5. I arrived at this rating in a very different method uh, than Brian, but I'm also going with a 3.5. Um, I really liked the historical tone of the movie, and I was prepared to like it a lot more had he and Maria run away to Oxford together. Um, <laughs> but or had he, or had she just gone and waited a month and had him come and get her, which I'm sure he would have done. But somehow Maria dying in the end it just makes this a very uh, harsh blow. So many bad things happened to PK in his life, and it's one of those things where I'm looking for a little bit of sunshine in the end and it doesn't quite get it to you. In fact, uh, when you go back and read the history books, apartheid's on its way in and it's really ugly and it's not going to get better until the nineties. So, um, that's unfortunate. Uh, but I appreciate the effort that he puts forth into doing the right thing. And I think that's the message. It's just a sobering finish, and uh, that gets me to 3.5. But I did think it was a, a really good journey, and from a historical standpoint, it's a nice lesson. And I would have never have looked into any of those things about South Africa had I not seen this movie. So I think the movie certainly holds up and feels just as good today as it did then. What do you guys think on that? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think that um, really, for me, it was definitely Maria's death that was that just kind of did it for me. I was kind of like you know, what's he supposed to do now? And I, I, it's interesting how you say, you know, apartheid continued through the 90s. I, I didn't think about it from that pr perspective, but it's like, how could he have done anything uh, that really made a difference if it lasted that much longer? Sometimes it's not fun to look at the history books. You're like, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should go on to Oxford and take oh, as yeah. many black people with you as you can. I don't know what to tell <laughs> you. I mean, um, so... Uh, let's get to the movie selection for next time. Uh, Brian, why don't you help me out here? We got three great movie choices. We're going to do an adventure movie next time. Uh, something upbeat and fun. We're going to do either option one, The County Monte Cristo, 2002. A young man is falsely imprisoned by his jealous friend, escapes and uses a hidden treasure to exact his revenge. Option two, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, 1989. Uh, the movie takes place in the 30s, and after his father, Professor Henry Jones Sr., goes missing while pursuing the Holy Grail, Indiana Jones finds himself up against Adolf Hitler's Nazis once again. In option, th option three, Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl from 2003. Blacksmith oh, Will Turner... Oh, was that that long ago? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, uh. it's, it's retro. <laughs> Blacksmith <laughs> Will Turner turn, teams up with eccentric pirate Captain Jack Sparrow. Uh, to save his love and governor's daughter from Jack's former pirate allies who are now undead. You know, I read an article recently that said that to prepare to go on set to be Jack Sparrow, Johnny Depp spent like six straight hours in a sauna to make himself like dehydrated and crazy. Not to I don't know if that's true or not. Worth but, it. <laughs> he definitely looks like he's been in a sauna all those movies. Which of these three movies will it be? 
I've got to go with the oldest of the schools on this and go with Indiana Jones. All right, because Brian Brian feels a little too uh, close to 2002 and 2003. We're going to go back farther <laughs> in the 80s. Not old. <laughs> ben, is yeah. it, ben, is it old? Yeah, I, that seems like a while ago. <laughs> and that's why know. we bring I... people of different ages on this show. Uh, if you hadn't picked up, uh, Ben is the younger brother. Brian is the uh, shorter brother. That's that's true in several different ways. Um, so, Both in lifespan and in height. There you go. Uh, I will say I, I think uh, Temple, no, not Temple of Doom. Last Crusade is a good choice, but I, you know, Temple of Doom was. My I said favorite. that backwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Ben, for coming on the show for your first time. We hope you have fun. If yep, you enjoy yourself, it. this was a good show. I'd love to have you back sometime. If you ever wanted to come back, let us know. Um, Maybe maybe for Dune someday, and uh, oh, Brian. God, Dune. Brian, thank you so much for uh, being our co-host and uh, co-pilot here, especially while John's working on a time machine. And <laughs> anyway, uh, so to all those lords, ladies, and knights of the retro movie roundtable, thank you. Invite uh, we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. That's how we hear what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, how we can make the show better. Uh, especially appreciate those five star reviews. Those help get the show out there and touch more people. Build this movie watching community up. And uh, give us a like on Facebook. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Brian? Uh, I'm going to go with a quote from another fairly hated South African movie character. It's going to be from Lethal Weapon 2 when I say, Diplomatic Immunity.